Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my friend Alex Gladstein of the Human Rights Foundation. Of course, uh, anytime there is uh, you know a lot of interest and intrigue in the world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I like to have Alex on. I think he is one of the smartest Bitcoin thinkers and one of the most realistic cryptocurrency thinkers out there. Uh, I always enjoy what he has to say. Also, a reminder to read his book, Check Your Financial Privilege. There will be a link to purchase that in the description of this show. If you want to support this show, you can get bonus episodes on patreon.com slash takecast. You can leave a rating or review on iTunes, or uh, you can just, you know, tell a friend. Tell a friend about the show. That's always very appreciated. And now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone. Welcoming Mr. Alex Gladstein back to the program. Uh, like to check in with Alex every couple of months. He is, uh, I, I think, uh, a great Bitcoin thinker. I think a, a great voice of positivity. And um, if you if you've read his book, which is sitting on my bookshelf, Alex, I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't read it yet. Maybe a great maybe a great time to read it. I did. I pre-ordered it. I was right there. Probably a great time to read it. It's it is a great time in my life to be reminded of the financial privilege that I live in. Uh, the the world that I do, the country that I do, I I'm gonna be okay. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. No, I mean these uh, bear markets are always best for getting back to fundamentals. You know, you know, do your do your reading, uh, set up set up the node that you always wanted to set up and never had the time to do so. Uh, check in on your hardware wallet, um, and you you do a lot of learning, I guess, is is my experience in these markets and. Uh, People do end up building cool stuff that ends up later becoming uh, widely used later. So, so we'll see. We'll see how how long this one lasts. Uh, it, in my mind, it's kind of been. It, it's you could almost say it's been a bear market for for more than a year now, in in a sense, um, because like the 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 bubble that the kind of double bubble we had last last year was kind of strange. But it it almost feels like we peaked in terms of pure. Um, mania uh, last April, right? Or yes. last kind of February. That was yeah. kind of like because because December to December twenty um, twenty, or really November twenty twenty through through right through March was just the craziest bull market. Um, and you know October November always kind of felt a little like 
Hmm. Something weird's going on here. Um, but yeah, um, I, I've, uh, uh, really thought about the, the way that the U S government's policy is now affecting Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It's crazy. Cause in 2017, uh, the, the fed was like hiking rates right. and trying to tighten and Bitcoin was like exploding, meaning it was not correlated. It didn't care, but now the market is big enough that it reacts kind of like a stock obviously. And, uh, and you had the largest monetary expansion ever uh, between March of 2020 and November 2021, where the U.S. government increased the broad money supply by 40%, the largest since World War II. And yeah, Bitcoin reacted to that. It went up by 17x. Uh, and then in November of 2021, the U.S. government started to do its um, signaling, and it started to basically signal that it was going to hike rates. And, and we've just been like, you know, kind of in free fall uh, ever since. So what this is, this is my cope. Uh, my, my cope is that these asset classes were dramatically inflated. Uh, I think even if you, even if you don't count, uh, what, what is the official number? 35% of all the existing U S dollars were printed in the roughly the last 18 to, to 20 months or so. I think that there was such an irrational exuberance towards Bitcoin and other digital assets that not only are we seeing, because I think we are seeing two things um, con uh, conflate at once, which is one, every all markets are taking a dump, right? There, there's nowhere you could put your money right now where you'd feel really, I mean, maybe if you have like the best housing deal ever in the world or something, you made some sick investment. Um, so we, we have that just in general and risk assets get crushed the most in those. But then also, an argument that these assets were overpriced anyways. So they were kind of due for even, even if the market as a whole was still bullish, I think we would have seen a downturn in price for, you know, the market leaders in cryptocurrency. Do you think that's true or false? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you, you see this irrational exuberance. I mean, I think we, we both probably remember like November, 2017 as well. Right. Like, that arguably was even crazier, right? Like never in this cycle did we get back to the point I felt where we were in November, 2017, where people were like talking about it at Thanksgiving, right? Like, you know, so we've, we've seen two of these insane bull markets. And um, I, I think they, the problem is that they, um, you know, obviously we, you know, talking about coping and stuff and that, that's totally fair, especially for all the folks who got in, let's say um, obviously in the last like, uh, well, obviously in the last seven or eight months, but, but even really in the last year. Um, and they, they thought that that was what it was going to be like forever or whatever. Sure. And that, right. That's like, just not the case, right. And you always know it's coming. And, uh, you know, the media likes to really have this really, uh, short-term, uh, memory, like, and they're like, oh, well, we're writing articles about how Bitcoin's down, um, to, from $69,000 to 20, 22,000 or whatever. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. That's important. Um, we should discuss that. But we should also discuss that it's up uh, from, you know, $9,000 from two years ago on this day, um, from $3,800 from March 2020, and, you know, from uh, $2,000 uh, five years ago. So I, I think they, they tend not to zoom out and provide the fair framework. Um, 
Well, you of know, course, right. Th- th- of well, course. Well, but I mean that. Why? I mean, they they strive to be excellent and provide context on other things that they. Well, because on. because the paper of, uh, <laughs> you know, this is this is uh, my my friend who comes on the program, Brian Hooper. I, I yeah. wonder. You, you're probably familiar with this. He he said it's an example from Michael Crichton, which sounds right given the the breadth of knowledge he had. Mm-hmm. So you're reading a newspaper, Alex. You're reading a news. You're really knowledgeable about a lot of things, right? But not everything. So you read a story. You know nothing about right some uh, let's say like australian politics or whatever mm-hmm. and you're like i i don't know anything about australian politics i read this article i'm really well informed great then you turn the page and you read an article about something you do know a lot about right and there there's a category and you're like this is wrong this is wrong this reporter has no idea this is wrong that's wrong and then i turn the page and i read another article that i don't know anything about and i'm like oh seems right it, it, it's like some sort of like informational amnesia and ever since that example has been relayed to me that is kind of the lens through which i have seen these bitcoin articles which is just the at the at the highest level these people don't know what they're talking about you know what i mean it's called gelman amnesia as well there there we go there we go of course of course you know of course yeah no it's no it's a great i actually mentioned it the other day because um it's very difficult i think people in the bitcoin and wider cryptocurrency community often struggle because they see how wrong the media is on the topic that they know pretty well um and then it, it gets it's dangerous though because then they start to distrust everything the media says and and you which is to... so problematic in, yeah. in a world in a world that's so reliant on information that's so problematic yeah. to just not trust the media so i'll give you an example of i have you know let's say several areas where i consider myself like I have an expertise. One of one of them happens to be Bitcoin. Another one happens to be global human rights. Okay, so um, what's really interesting is in the last few months, I mean, and I've been I've been let's say active on uh, let's say crypto Twitter, Bitcoin Twitter for a while, like since um, basically like early days of Trump, uh, all like the whole Trump administration, all the crazy shit that happened, um, the election, uh, January sixth, uh, COVID. Uh, all, all the lockdowns, um, the, 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 you know, the new election of Biden, everything. And I've never seen emo- the emo- emotion as high uh, as I saw it during the invasion of, of Ukraine, because I felt like that the, at least the Bitcoin community in many ways, the Western Bitcoin community, like meaning American kind of right. like a lot of, a lot of folks on, on Bitcoin Twitter, they, they are like so convinced that everything the media says is false. Uh, and I, I don't blame them. Like, I mean, the whole COVID experience and masks, not masks, uh, this is going to work. That's going to work. This is, sure. you know, it, it was an exercise in like, wow, our leaders like don't really know anything. Um, so I, I kind of empathize and I get it, but here was an example where the media was actually correct. Okay. And they said, Russia was going to invade. Russia did invade. Uh, Putin's army has now completely destroyed Ukraine. Great, great um, example, actually. Yeah. And, and, and it was entirely true the whole time. And, and they were like, no, it's false. We're going to listen to Snowden and, and whatever and 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 that didn't work out right and you know sometimes you need to be able to create like it's called basically sense making you have to like figure out how to make sense of different things and you can't just say everything the media says is is is, is not true that's that's you're not going to make it very far right, right. so you're not going to make it if you believe everything the media says and you're also not going to make it if you think everything that they say is false you have to figure out a way of of um of just sort of sense making and it was disappointing to see a lot of people um, basically do the whole both sides arism, 
like, oh, well, Ukraine's also committing war crimes. Like, this is a complete bullshit. Like, no, like, Russia invaded this country. It's a colonial act. Like, they're trying to take over. They're massacring people. You should, it's okay if you don't want the US government to get involved. It's very fair if you want to be isolationist. Like, maybe I don't agree. Maybe I do agree. But what's not fair is to, like, is to basically say that, oh, it's, it's, it's both sides or that Ukraine had it coming or any of this stuff. So of course, yeah. I saw a lot of that, um, which, which was disappointing. And the, Oh, well, about, cause that's, that's month. the new, that's the new cool guy. The, exactly. the new cool guy internet opinion is actually everything's bad. Actually right. everything. So this person's bad and that person's bad. And these things are equally bad. Right. So, because, you know, there there's, and this is like a total like internet alt-right thing, but like, oh, actually there are a lot of Nazis in Ukraine and there right. are, there are, there are Nazis in the Ukrainian special well, forces and, and things and like it's, that. Uh, well, well, and you know, there's certainly a grain of truth there. Like there are, oh, there, absolutely. Are, there, there, there are some, but the president's Jewish and it's not a Nazi state. And, and like what Putin was promoting was that like he was rescuing the Ukrainians from the Nazis. Like the whole thing was so ridiculous. So look, you had, um, what you saw was, I guess, like an overgrowth of the alternative media um, during the COVID times and during the pandemic, where frankly, let's be, let's face it, people, people lost it. I mean, people got disconnected and I don't blame them. Like it was a really screwed up couple of years. If you didn't have like a rock solid family and friends, like, man, it must've been really, really tough. Right. And it Absolutely. Was for a lot of people, like I, I lost family members and couldn't see them in the hospitals and stuff like it was bad. So and you can only imagine how bad it was for people in emerging market countries. I mean, just just consider them, you know, so so it's a bad couple of years, I understand. But we now we have to do some sense making. And, um, you know, I found myself on a kind of an island. It was interesting, like, I was like very into Bitcoin and then also very into like supporting Ukraine. And there weren't that many people who agreed with me because all the mainstream media like don't like Bitcoin. And then all the Bitcoiners didn't like Ukraine. <laughs> well, you and I, you and I kind of, I think that's why I like talking to you so much is you and I kind of have that similar dynamic where we are interested in a lot of leftist politics, which is not very popular in Bitcoin. So, so you know, kind of our, our leftist buddies are like, well, and probably not you, you probably have a better network of support for this but you know my my kind of leftist buddies are like what are you doing with this this alt-right coin you know like what do you what do you and then you know of course bitcoin right. twitter is like you vote bro like yeah. why would you vote it's all a scam it's all written you know it's so it's like it's like there's very there's very little common ground there yeah and and you know i wrote the book check your financial privilege um it, it's part of my i own my own learning process uh uh, over the years, as I just reported and talked to people who used Bitcoin around the world, um, as a a challenge to this idea that Bitcoin is this like you know, uh, you know, crypto bro American libertarian fantasy coin that doesn't add any value, you know, that's that's the dominant view among many on the left or center left or, or even just generally speaking in the United States. I think a lot of conservative Republicans would share the same view that it's just this kind of um, useless thing. And, you know, what I wanted to set out to do was, first of all, just learn, like, wait a second, like, why are all these people using this thing? First of all, uh, like, just the other day, I saw data out of Indonesia, the world's largest Muslim country, the government reported 12 million Bitcoin or cryptocurrency users. Okay, like that. Obviously, the genie's not going back in the bottle, like we're, we're going in a particular direction. Uh, you know, great, great <laughs> point. And I'm glad someone said it, because these, the, and, and how, oh, yeah. 
really a great thing to do would just be to get off Twitter when everyone's in such a bad mood. That would that's that's no, great. It's, it's great advice. It's for like living. that chart I sent you before coming on, where like you look at Bitcoin's history and it's like, oh, it's a bubble now, it's dead. Oh, it's a bubble now, it's dead. Oh, it's a bubble now, it's dead. And every time it's dead, it's it died a lot higher than it did before, right? And we're just going to see that, and this is a natural process of something that has a fixed supply and a varying demand. But guess what? What I'm here to tell you is that global demand is rising, and it's rising for a reason because national fiat currencies are failing. Um, the dollar is the main money and economic lifeblood of the world, and there aren't many dollars. We have a dollar shortage. All these other countries are going to run out of dollars. And then what happens, like what happened with Sri Lanka a few months ago, it's bad news. When you run out of dollars, you can't pay your debts, you can't buy energy, you can't import, and then you go bankrupt. Um, and then in Sri Lanka's case, they decided instead of paying their debts to buy more energy and food so the people didn't starve. Now, of course, the IMF and World Bank don't like that very much. So you're going to see a lot of this really messy um, revolutionary uh, chaos happening in the emerging markets this coming decade as you know, fuel and meat and grain get more expensive. We continue to have shipping shortages and geopolitical conflict. It's like when it rains, it pours, right? Um, so you're going to see this, but you know, what's interesting is that like, yes, like all of these things like help with this highly inflationary environment, right? Like clearly the war, um, isn't a, is a factor and the pandemic and the lockdowns were a factor, but what's so crazy is the gaslighting. Like I'm looking at the Washington post and they are doing these polls and they're saying, who's, who's at fault for inflation? Cause I've, inflation is now the biggest political topic in the United States. Okay. It's, 100%. it's, it's, it's yeah. the number one thing. Uh, if Biden doesn't do something, the Democrats are going to get wrecked in, in November and, and, you know, whoever they nominate to run again is going to lose to whoever, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or whatever in the next yeah. presidential election. So, so they have to really focus on this. And it's worth talking about because the Washington Post goes to the American people and says, well, who's, whose fault is it? And they have this graph and, 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 and this poll and they, they ask, okay, is it the coronavirus fault? Is it Putin's fault? Uh, is it, um, uh, or, you know, or is it Biden's fault or is it greedy corporations? And what's crazy is, um, yes, all of those things play a role one way or another. I, I kind of, I don't really know what Biden's done, to be honest, but like, let's just say greedy, we'll say greedy corporations, pandemic and Putin all certainly have played a role in getting to where we are. But like the actual like monetary inflation was created by Trump, like dur during the reaction yeah. to, to the 2020 crisis, when again, we had the government intervene in the bond and we basically nationalized the bond and credit markets. And we basically pumped an astronomical amount of money into the system. I was, I was looking at this, the um, uh, between uh, March of 2020 and then February of, of this year, uh, the, 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 the Fed purchased $4.5 million of assets per minute um, from the private sector. So that our balance sheet and our central bank in the United States went from around $4 trillion to $9 trillion of mainly American debt and mortgage-backed securities. So this was like the craziest inflationary binge um, ever, in a, it, really, I mean, given that it's the reserve currency of the world. And it's crazy that like the New York Times, Washington Post, they, when they're asking Americans, well, who's at fault? They never, they never, they never say the Fed. So there's actually this left-wing journalist who's great. His name's Christopher Leonard. He wrote a book that I'd highly recommend uh, you read. Um, it's called The Lords of Easy Money. Uh, his previous book was Cokeland. He was looking into like the Coke network. Um, and he takes a left-wing perspective on it and 
shows how how terrible the Fed's actually been and how their policies since Greenspan have done nothing but kind of create asset inflation, make things better for the rich, and 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 in general, like it kind of screw the poor, um, which is which is a surprising uh, conclusion. Yeah, it, in, inflation is way worse if you have less money than if you have a ton of money. Is and when when most of your money is locked up in assets, like inflation helps you when your money is locked up. Yeah, in I mean, assets. just look at the extremes. I have friends from Venezuela when they had hyperinflation during the latter best part of the latter decade, literal hyperinflation, like you know, you would go to the bar and your beer would be more expensive an hour later um, kind of stuff. Uh, the rich are fine because they can take a loan out in the local currency and go buy it in Bolivars and go buy an apartment in Miami. And then and they can watch as the value of the loan goes to zero and they have a free fucking apartment. Like this is like the rich can always find ways around it. And um, I think Oxfam put it best. They put out a report a few months ago saying that during the pandemic, the 1% did very well and then 99% did not do so well. So, so Leonard's book's interesting. I would check that out. But in general, you know, I think what's interesting is you've got, um, you know, now a situation where what does the Fed do, right? So they have to raise rates because the Democrats and Biden are pushing them to cool the historic inflation, which is at 8.6%. It's the highest it's been since the 1970s. Um, and Americans know that it's higher than that in different areas, of course, if you look at gas or um, real estate or, 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 or literally anything that you could buy at a grocery store, it's up way more than 8.6%. Um, so people are hurting right now. And Biden knows this, and he's got to fix that to, or else he's just not going to get elected. So what does he do? What's crazy in our modern system is that the answer is to raise rates and break the economy so that people go out of work and create create a recession. That's the only answer. So they're going to raise rates. They've already completely destroyed the stock market, right? They're going to continue to raise rates. Uh, this has a million different kind of butterfly effects. Um, but the biggest one is you're seeing all these big companies go on hiring freezes. Um, you're going to, you're, you know, it's not going to achieve what they want it to achieve. Something's going to break and then they're going to have to start pumping money into the economy again. And that's I feel when Bitcoin gets back on track, most likely, because if 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 they start, if they can't raise rates for another year, if they can't get to where they want to get to five, six percent or whatever it ends up being to actually bring inflation down, um, you know, their plan of like literally raising rates so much that Americans don't have any money to spend. Like, yes, that would reduce inflation. Right. Um, so if their plan doesn't work, uh, they're going to have to like basically um retreat and 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 do stimulus again this happened in 2019 they were trying to do um basically tightening policy uh and in september of late august early september of 2019 the credit market essentially uh the money credit market broke um and then they had to just start pumping in tons of qe to fix to fix the banking system so people i think like me believe that in the next six to eight months they're gonna they're gonna continue to tighten really aggressively like i think tomorrow they're gonna tighten it looks like by 75 basis points, which is which is kind of crazy. Um, just to give you context, the United States currently has around 30 trillion dollars of debt. So when we when we go up 100 basis points, that's another 300 billion dollars that we have to pay to existing bondholders. So if we raise if we raise rates by three percent, we're we're adding another trillion dollars that we owe to our existing six trillion dollar annual budget. So there are like serious serious consequences to doing to raising rates this way. But they're going to try and do it because they have to, and something's going to break. And when that breaks, I mean, basically the market knows that it's all over, and the Fed has has is not in control. 
And that's, that's when I think you want to own something like Bitcoin. So people can laugh now and take their laps and stuff, their little victory and, laps. And they, the, they sure are. The, the no coin or Nirvana is right now. Go ahead. I mean, the funny thing to me, of course, is that we're, we're still, I mean, you know, this thing used to be worth a penny. You know, it's like it's going in a very clear direction, but they don't care about that. They just care about the last six months or whatever the arbitrary time frame is. They don't care about two, five, 10 year increments. They just care about the last six months. They don't care about the fundamentals. It's okay. But eventually this thing's going to, gonna gonna get gonna get very very interesting but um the the main con i guess the main thing i would just say is uh i've learned that um other countries go through this kind of thing all the time we're now feeling emergent emerging market level inflation but this is like what people over the world normally feel and that's why they ended up turning to bitcoin they needed something that was a little different and over the last three four years bitcoin's done very well for them so so in an in an emerging market yeah. You know what? Like, so, so they, they go through this cycle, but obviously they, you know, they don't have proof of war. They don't have the petrodollar. They don't like what, right. what happens when a country has to press reset button on their currency? No, you get austerity basically. Like there's a complete collapse. There's food shortages. People lose all their savings and people's life expectancy actually goes down. People die. Like it's, it's really, really harsh. Um, when we talk about these recessions that are brought in by like banking or crises. You look at the Asian financial crisis. There's a great book about it um, that I had kick, kicking around somewhere here. Yeah, it's called uh, Birth of the Age of Debt, the Asian Financial Crisis uh, by Russell Napier. Um, I mean, the Asian financial crisis was another one of these things where these these big, big countries just ran out of money. They ran out of dollars. Now, if you're Korea or Indonesia, sure, you can print like a ton of yuan, um, but it's not going to help you like if you can't get dollars. So you're basically they lost the peg that they were all on pegged to the dollar and they could they could no longer get dollars and their currency started to like go into extreme inflation. And this causes political crises like in the Indonesia, it caused the overthrow of a dictator there, Suharto. Um, it, it, it totally upends society. And the kind of the creepy thing, there's this book, there's this really interesting movie called um, uh, the princes of the yen. I would highly recommend it. It's free on YouTube. It's incredible. It shows how the U.S. government created the uh, Japanese debt bubble at the end of the eight, 1980s, um, which was the craziest bubble in the world in terms of real estate and stocks. Like, like the 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 land around the uh, royal palace in Tokyo was worth more than the entire state of California for like six months or something. It's the craziest bubble of all time. Like the the Japanese stock market still has not recovered to where it was in '89. It's like insane but in any event what the what the what the book gets at is that what what ha- ended up happening in a lot of these countries when their markets got wrecked the u.s government's kind of like system the neoliberal washington consensus system could kind of come in and make demands and basically say instead of borrowing against yourselves you have to borrow from us now because if countries have currency independence they can borrow against themselves um like we do um these countries we don't want them to do that. We want, we want to control them in a way and we want them to borrow from us. It's kind of a sinister thing, but you can learn more about it from that, that, that film, which is free on YouTube and also from the Asian financial crisis book. Um, but look, I, I, I talked to all these people from Palestine, Cuba, um, Russia, uh, Togo, places that were allies with the United States, places that were enemies, um, places that suffered under different kinds of colonialism all around the world. And, you know, these people have always lived with broken money that's terrible, that always inflates a lot, that they have capital controls. They, it's very hard for them to send money abroad or receive money. So for them, Bitcoin's been very useful. 
And in writing the book, that's when I started to become more uh, open to um, uh, to appreciating stable coins, actually. So I, I obviously, as you know, I'm like a Bitcoin advocate, right. very skeptical of other cryptocurrencies. But you know what? When I keep interviewing people and they keep telling me that they're using Tether, okay, I have to kind of like be Bayesian and like open my mind about that a little bit, right? Um, and it's just true. Like in Nigeria today, Tether is traded more than Bitcoin. And it's kind of obvious, like if you don't have much capital, you can't really stomach the volatility of Bitcoin. Like you might, you might like it long-term. It might be a good backup plan, plan B type thing. You might use it as a payment rail and then immediately sell on the other side. There's lots of apps that take advantage of the Lightning Network uh, and of, or just Bitcoin generally for remittances. And they use it as a rail, but they use fiat on both sides. So it's, it's in heavy use around the world. There's no question, but so are stable coins. And um, I think right now you're seeing, I think together, Tether and USDC are, are getting, I think they just surpassed ETH's market cap um, or they're about to. So they're really, really big in this world. Um, again, in a lot of these countries, Tether has a larger um, market cap uh, and volume than Bitcoin even um, and tons of users. And, and it's pretty simple and it's caused me to change my mind on a few things, but basically like these are people who don't have dollars and they need dollars. And guess what? Through Tether, um, they can, they can, or, you know, to some extent, USDC, depending on the country, they can get a dollar, a digital dollar without having a bank account. And that's just kind of a very simple idea. That's very powerful. Right. It doesn't mean that they're going to go spend the tether for coffee, but it gives them like a checking account that's in dollars and it, it can be very easily swapped for, for whether usually for Bitcoin and then on for other stuff. Right. Um, but it gives them a little safe haven. And this is very important for many, many people. I just spent time with about with, with, a week with a bunch of Bitcoin users and, um, from all over the world. And, and a lot of them use stable coins as well. So stable coins, very important. Um, obviously, uh, Tether and USDC are extremely, and to a lesser extent, BUSD, which is Binance's stable coin, which is, which is actually made by this company called Paxos. It's all sort of regulated as well. The, these, these, are, these are like dollar um, instruments that are, that are created by deposits, like old school, the way banks used to work back in the right. day. Like people go to like Tether's bank and they give $10 million and, and Tether, Tether takes it and issues $10 million at Tether. Um, and this is why these, these two currencies in particular, Tether and USDC, have been able to survive these like crazy markets because they're actually backed. Now, is Tether fully backed? Probably not. Um, it's certainly not fully backed by dollars. But yeah, look. that's that's pretty like that is uh, that's like crypto fund 101. It's like, oh, you know, Tether, Tether's not fully backed in a bank run. It's like it's like. They have a lot of they have a lot of money. They, they're probably if you think about the fact that our banking system now doesn't work like it used to, like it's a it's a common myth, especially among Bitcoiners, to believe that um, that deposits create loans. No, loans create deposits. The way banks make money is they literally make money. They just issue a loan and that creates a deposit. So um, with with Tether, it doesn't work like that. Like they're they're on like because again, we're not on we're on like total fractional reserve. Like banks don't have to keep really any money. Uh, in proportion to to depositors, whereas Tether absolutely USDC is full reserve. Like so, for every USDC out there, there is an equivalent either dollar or U.S. Treasury in an account somewhere that the U.S. government knows about. That's a completely regulated thing in the United States. Um, Tether, we don't know, but we're we're guessing based on what we've seen that they have some mix of of of, of cash, Treasuries, Bitcoin, corporate paper, some other stuff. But hey, I mean they've been able to process tens of billions of dollars of redemptions. Um, you want to go ahead and short tether, like, go ahead. Like it hasn't really been like a great trade. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, 
So anyway, the point is that I've seen the humanitarian power and impact of certainly of Bitcoin, obviously, um, which extends to in an ideological sense, like people really like the idea of having a money that their government doesn't control or that their colonial power doesn't control or that their dictator doesn't control. Um, even though it's volatile, they love the idea that it's it's kind of like the people's money. But also the, this, this other half of it is that you're seeing, I think you can make a moral case that today I'd like to, I guess, propose that everyone in the world should have access to, to not only Bitcoin, but also US dollars. I think that's only fair. As long as yeah. we live in a fiat world, people should have access to the best fiat. And they don't want Naira or pesos or lira or shillings. Like they want dollars. So let's give them dollars and we can do that through stable coins. Now, ironically, the biggest Ponzi scheme I think ever <laughs> in cryptocurrency history is also a stable coin. So it's worth kind of focusing on that for a second. There's a bunch of nonsense stable coins that are Ponzi schemes uh, that, that don't work. Um, and Terra, Terra was an example. Terra was a dollar I mean, instrument. You Terra, know, Terra you know. Luna set crypto back reputationally, like 18 months it, at least. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's actually kind of interesting the way it was working. Like, you know, you had like this, uh, this system whereby like you had these, te these Terras, which were quote unquote dollars. Um, and it was algorithmically set up so that like you could always exchange a Terra for a dollar of Luna. And that, 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 which is a floating token that, that this team, you know, Do Kwan and his team created, right? Um, and that was supposed to work. And it technically works as long as the price goes up, always. Like, as long as the price goes up, generally speaking, like, it kind of works. And what they were doing is they were inflating, um, they were inflating the uh, amount of Terra through this thing called Anchor, where they were offering people a 20% yield. If anyone ever offers you an 18 or a 20% yield, you know that it's it's nonsense. You cannot, this is impossible to sustain in finance. This is fake. Right. So people were getting a 20% yield on their whatever, their stable coin by depositing it over there. Um, and this was driving huge growth in Terra. So Terra got massive. Terra got bigger than Luna, right? This whole thing where you're supposed to be able to redeem it. So it ended up collapsing. Uh, and what was weird is like there were a bunch of Bitcoiners who... You know, this was an interesting chapter. There, there were like a bunch of uh, Bitcoiners that that were saying, "Oh, this is good." Um, that that this other crypto is buying Bitcoin, like because basically Do Kwan's plan was to to make to, Terra, to like, back it with Bitcoin, back it with Bitcoin. And I'll, I'll admit that I was open. My I was basically my perspective was, "Hey, everybody's going to use Bitcoin." Yeah, I think it. Know. I think it was fine to be open minded to to yeah, that experiment. But, my but, my take before yeah, realizing yeah. just how Ponzi nomical it was was like, <laughs> should should did I buy any Luna or Terra or Anchor? Was I interested in that myself with my own money or my own wealth? Absolutely not. Right. But I do think sort of in the spirit of. Bitcoin getting off of a federal bank reserve system. Should people be doing financial experiments with real money? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Like, like, I think the idea of this, what, what do they call it? The, the LFG, the something yes. foundation, the which guard. is kind of funny. Yeah. Right. So I don't, I, in a vacuum, I don't hate the idea of a group of people who are not a bank, not right. a federal government, conducting financial experiments with real money. Now, obviously you get to like the third layer of what was going on with Terra Luna and it becomes pretty clear. It, it really was just a giant 
Ponzi. But that was my that was my original take was like, I want to see financial experiments happen in real world with real variables. Well, 100 percent. And I I think, you know, there are two reactions to that. But generally speaking, you know, I think we learned a good lesson. um, And, you know, those people expecting 20 percent yield, it stopped coming and they had to liquidate stuff to try and keep paying it. And the whole thing collapsed. And now it went it literally went to zero. We often talk about coins going to zero. Well, that one went to zero. Um, and now we have Celsius happening as we speak, um, which is basically a um, kind of like a like an exchange slash custodian that declared itself to be military grade safe. And in reality, they were like a super risky hedge fund. So they were taking your money and investing it in these de- very similar DeFi schemes to what Terra Luna had concocted. And Celsius has has basically... Um, been captained by this guy, Alice, Alex Mashinsky, who's like, kind of like, a, it's quite the character, but essentially he was saying until a few days ago, just like Do Kwan was saying, like the day before it all went down, that this is non FUD, like we're fine. He was saying that. And then all of a sudden you saw Celsius bust out the, oh, we are no longer processing withdrawals, which yep. is, uh, that's, you know, and it's coming to an end. So right now they're trying to survive being completely liquidated. Um, I guess they keep managing to stack Bitcoin to a point where it would require at this point like a drop to like 16k or something as a bitcoin price to get rid of them so who knows maybe they'll be around but th- there was a lot of experimentation in the last six to eight months around these unsustainable ponzi schemes and people just kind of let their guard down a little bit and and we just need to be a little careful and look that's why i think that you know you got to draw a line and for me at least like i want to be open-minded enough to understand that like things like stable coins are very important um and i've dug down deep and seen that the ones that are backed that are redeemable that do have global network liquidity do serve a very important purpose in the world today this is the kind of inarguable um but like we also i also like the bitcoin maximalist side um of of me and many other people that says not your keys not your coins like the whole 100 is to very be your own, very good is, lesson is, yeah. is to be your own bank and it's not worth the six percent yield or the whatever percent yield they promise like like have fun, do your thing. But when it comes to Bitcoin, like you should custody that shit. <laughs> like that is, you should learn about it. Take this time during this bear market, learn about how to custody your own Bitcoin. I and mean, this is something that you're going to pass on to your kids and stuff. Like don't mess around with this. This is very important. Um, so anyway, there's, I think lessons from kind of both sides of, for me in the last year that I've seen, uh, which has been interesting. And these, these parlayed into a, um, into a letter that I, I was part of, uh, a bunch of technologists, a bunch of no-coiners uh, wrote to US Congress saying that all crypto was a catastrophe. And um, of course I disagree. So I got together with people from Palestine, Russia, we had Gary Kasparov sign on, Ukraine, we had activists who'd used Bitcoin like in the months, in the days after the Russians invaded, they, Bitcoin was the only way to get money in to save people. Uh, we had people from Western Africa, Latin America, all over signed this letter basically saying that, no, not all crypto is a catastrophe. And we tried to find like a lowest common denominator of like, okay, well, we're going to say, we're going to focus on Bitcoin and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the largest stable coins here. And we're going to say to Congress, listen, these essentially three coins um, constitute the clear majority of market cap, the clear the overwhelming majority of 24 seven volume. And they provide real value to people around the world. And it's true. We fight scams all the time in our communities, and most most cryptocurrencies are scams or Ponzi's or whatever. If you look at there's twenty thousand of them on Coin Market Cap, like yeah, you're correct. But we need to be discerning, and we need to understand that a lot of people are benefiting 
in a big way from, from Bitcoin and stable coins globally, in a huge way and in a growing way every day, every single day, um, regardless of the price going up and down. In fact, the way that Bitcoin and stable coins are being used in emerging markets as a pair makes them almost like more resilient to what's happening now with, with the Bitcoin price. Um, and this is just something that is happening in an ongoing sense. And Congress needs to know this, or they should know this. Um, and that way we can be more effective. Because then, then the question is, well, what do we do about uh, Terra uh, Luna Ponzi scheme? So some people, right, Davis, are going to say, well, we should regulate. And, and then some people are going to say, no, we should educate. Right. So like the, the kind of more progressive side, probably, right. The Democrats are going to say, let's regulate, let's, right. let's do that. And probably the people on, on the libertarian side are going to say, no, we should just educate. Um, I don't really consider myself a libertarian. That's for sure. But I, I do find myself more on that side. I don't, I just don't know what, I, I don't know if our Congress is capable of crafting policy. That's going to be intelligent. on They're, just, it's, right they're so they're Yeah. It's, it's like, and I think we, I talk about this stuff all the time. It's like in an ideal, because everything comes down to trade-offs, right? Yeah. In, in the world we live in right now in a classroom setting, it would be great for there to be really good, well thought out, well executed, well written legislation as it pertains to, to these markets. Right. But that's so unlikely to happen in the real world. So I find, I, I, I find myself in this situation a lot being, uh, an extreme leftist talking about these things in theory and then in practice actually siding with some of the more uh I, it's, it's so hard to say free market you know because we don't we don't really have anything approximating a free market right. in in the western world but uh, it's like i would i would love for there to be good legislation so that you know, uh, that like with, with the, the Terra Luna stuff, if, if the people well, responsible and, could be held accountable. Yeah. And just to, and again, I know I've been like pushing the, I've been telling people here about the importance of Tether in particular, which you might balk at. Cause you're like, wait, I thought that was like a sketchy thing. And I agree. I, I don't know what's powering Tether on the back end, but look, at the end of the day, I got to tell you, you go to Lebanon, you go to Turkey, you go to Argentina, go to China, like people use Tether, like it's important. Um, and they don't have dollar access. So it's something for you to think about. Um, but at the same time, these moments, these bear markets, of course, you know, this is why I have this Bitcoin focus. And I would try to keep that with policymakers, like, listen, like we should make it so that Americans can access Bitcoin when they need to, can custody it. They can, they can use it as a savings asset. Ideally, I'd love to see us be able to, I'd love to be able to use it as a currency. I'd love to be able to make payments on it. And I can't with the tax rules as such. Maybe we'll get a change in the future that that removes um, kind of like uh, tax gains. Yeah, for, that's a that's a that's a it's such an easy thing, right? It's like you should well, just be able to, to remit you, with Bitcoin, you know? Well, you could do it for under, let's say we have this kind of like $10,000 number, right? Or, or let's even call it whatever, $5,000. You could just say that, you know, Bitcoin payments made beneath a certain amount. Um, that are like too small to do major money laundering or whatever, you would just not have taxes on those things. And that way we could actually start using it as a currency. Um, I think people use it as a currency regardless. I mean, I think there's a lot of like, oh, well, well no one's gonna ever know about that. But, um, you know, it, it, it is gonna be difficult to actually use this thing uh, as a currency in the future if, if the laws don't change, but, but, but we'll see. The point is that in these markets, when, when everything's tanking and dying, um, this is kind of when I just, you know, I really, I'm, I'm happy about the Bitcoin focus. I, I, I know it's going to be around and have a great decade. And, and I just, every other coin, I just don't know about. I mean, look, I'm, I'd be interested in your take. I'm looking at ETH, like 
there's a bunch of like debate among the central engineers about they just delayed the 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 the, the last time the last again. time we talked uh you know i was we we were talking about you know bitcoin maximalism right, and right, right. nfts and metamask and uh, I mean, I find myself, this is something I like self-knowledge is important. I just, I get wrapped, I get very much wrapped up in the moment of, of things, of just things that are happening and NFTs were exciting and Ethereum was exciting and things were happening on Ethereum. But I do think there is um, definitely a, a severe element of truth to the thing that the real Bitcoin maximalists always said about Ethereum, was, which is that it doesn't really know what it wants to be. There is, there are so many voices that have to be heard at, at all times, right? And so, you know, the people who, who consider themselves, you know, the leaders of Ethereum might want something to happen, but because, uh, oh man, the, the, the Bitcoin people hate this, but centralization does exist on a spectrum and yes. calling Ethereum super, like extremely centralized is wrong, right? Because it's not sure. like Vitalik writes the code and then it happens Correct. the next day, yeah. but it is centralized to some extent in that. Yeah. Uh, a, a smaller than you'd like group of people do have voting power over the network, right? And yeah. it just it's it's just messy. The, the 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 thing I would say about Ethereum is that it's just it's quite messy in a way that you don't have to think about that way about, about Bitcoin well, at all. Well, it's also just, I mean, look, we'll see. They they, they keep pushing this merge where they're going to go to proof of stake, and this was kind right. of what they were. They've been basing Vitalik and company have been basing everything on this for the last five years because the, yes the, this way they would have the environmental thing like off their chest right like for whatever reason they continue to get a pass eth mining creates half the carbon footprint of bitcoin mining and yet like they get to like basically pretend that they're a green coin or whatever it's like because they because they say someday they'll because they say someday and yeah. they never do it and they've been saying for five years but you know we start thinking about these stake problems that are happening in these proof of stake systems and people are people are getting, I don't know if they're getting cold feet, but they're definitely getting concerned about this. Okay, so you have all these providers that have now staked all this ETH right into the new system. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, people like me obviously have political, like I have a political science like view on it. I don't love the idea of proof of stake systems. I think they can be useful, you know, for some things. Look, our current currency system is essentially one. I think they can be useful in some areas, but clearly, they lead to a scenario where if you have a ton of the asset, you have more influence. This is a straightforward uh, explanation of how they work. And I really liked, there's an analyst who I follow named Lynn Alden, who's great. And she she was at an event I did recently uh, and she said something very insightful when we were testifying at the uh, government in Norway recently. And she was saying, you have proof of work in Bitcoin and if you remove the proof of work, you add governance. So it basically, these are your choices. You either have proof of work, you have mining, you have a, a open competition to expend energy to change the system, or you have human governance, right? So by adding a bunch of human governance, I don't know what that, you know, I'm, there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, so we'll see. But the, the main lesson is during bull markets, Bitcoin maximalism sounds really unreasonable. And in bear market bear markets, it sounds very reasonable. That's That's, that, like is, the... that is that uh, is 100%. And, not, <laughs> and I, I guess, you know, it's like, not like I was ever like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta flip my Bitcoin so I can buy a board ape. Like that was right. never. I, I, I think. I mean, and I still kind of think NFTs are sort of fun. Like if if you could sure. do NFTs and all of these things on Bitcoin, I would. 
uh well i don't know i'm no so, it's not I'm, it's not even that i still think they'll be look forget the blockchain part just think about like top shot or flow labs it's completely centralized they don't need a blockchain at and all and they don't care and then it's, it's and, yeah. the, and the users didn't care and i don't think that user base is going away and the, people will be interested in collecting digital assets i, I mean i, I think I to say that they aren't is stupid you know i i don't remember who tweeted this i i think it was kobe where he was uh -huh. like, this is why NFTs exist and why they'll continue to exist because eventually mega corporations are going to run out of shit to sell you. They're running out of, they're running out of things on earth. They're running out of raw right. material to sell you. So eventually it's going to make sense to sell you digital shit instead. Yeah. Right. No, I, I, look, I think that we're, we're, we haven't seen the, 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 the end of that. I mean, it's just gonna, it's just, just like we saw with crypto kitties and people were like, people like me were like well that's fucking stupid um and and you know what it was pretty stupid but you know right. what like or rare pepes which were on bitcoin by the way um i still find right. weird like yeah i find weird i mean it's not i'm not into it but like i get it i guess and then that like died for two whole years you didn't hear anything about it and then out of the bottom of the bear you started hearing stuff about open sea and stuff like that and all of a sudden we had this absolutely insane year last year um it's not going away it's just going to change into something else but Look, you're going to see an explosion of new things happening in this space over time, over these different cycles. But the, the you know, you don't, you, you can appreciate all the Bitcoin maximalist value stuff uh, while still experimenting with other things. Just remember at the end of the of day, like, serious with your Bitcoin, treat it with respect, be humble, like, you know, try to... <laughs> Try to try to try to you know I guess the advice would be try to convert like other currency that's clearly going to lose value over time into Bitcoin when you can, um, save it for your future and and yeah yeah learn how to store it safely um, and then and then everything else is kind of like you just put treat it as, in a separate category in your head now that's that's obviously advice for a privileged American like you or me right where we're we're earning fiat in our day job I assume um, and 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 maybe we're saving in Bitcoin and experimenting in these other things. Dude, people in Nigeria, that's very different. They, they, they don't, they can't use a bank account. Like either they don't want to uh, for political reasons or they can't, they don't have access. And so they have to get access to the global financial system. They have to go through Bitcoin and stable coins. It's the only way. So they don't have like the same options we do. So all of these patterns and behaviors relate to your, to your financial privilege. Um, and I haven't even gotten into people like Palestinians who are forced to use the Israeli currency. I mean, imagine the psychological effect of being forced to use your occupier's currency or all of these 180 million people in the central and West Africa who have to use the colonial French franc still today, the shame of that. Um, so there's, there's tons of people around the world who have very legitimate ideological or practical reasons to use Bitcoin and stable coins that really don't relate to the price. Like honestly, the, the ways they use these things Let's put stable coins aside. The way they use Bitcoin, it would work the same at 15K as it does at 50K. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to them. They use it right. to receive a payment and then maybe they swap it right away to, 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 to local currency or they use it as a rail. Like the fact that I can sit here in California and send literally instantly over like a moon wallet on a lightning network, I can send it hundred bucks to somebody in Ghana or Palestine or something is totally revolutionary. It's like amazing. And so the question the, has always been, what does that person do with the Bitcoin? But now the P2P markets are so powerful that like, it's right. to, 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 to sell. There's always someone who's going to want your Bitcoin for fiat somewhere. So um, I think that, you know, the strategies and advice for people, it just differs so greatly depending on where you live. Right. So the last thing that I want to touch on before mm -hmm. letting you go about your day is 
the because we're getting pretty close to the point where we're going to start seeing uh blue check journalists talk about the mining death of bitcoin right <laughs> yes, this is the, yes. that that's one of the uh that's one of the oh, big boy. check marks of a bear market where uh and you'll know you'll obviously know more about this than me but it's yeah. it, it, the basic theory is essentially the electricity cost uh to mine the bitcoin and validate transactions on the blockchain becomes so great that no one is incentivized to do it and price goes to zero yeah i mean you know this would be the fatal flaw of bitcoin or any any digital currency system it is it is why you see proof of stake coins die they have no way to protect themselves um but satoshi used a bunch of different clever tricks to make bitcoin resilient it's the only way it survived i mean if you actually go back and look at these but these 95 reduction bear markets that it survived over the years these absolutely nuts i mean $1,300 at the end of 2013 down to $195, like $30 to $2. I mean, even the one we saw 20,000 to um, 3,000 to 3, I mean, currently, you know, 69,000 to 20, 21,000. Like the way, the only reason it can survive at these things is called something called the, the difficulty algorithm, which many, which many people think is the most important part of Bitcoin and the difficulty, the difficulty algorithm you know what it basically does and i was able to actually explain this uh, you'll, you'll find this amusing i was in um mexico at a conference a few months ago and i was with Saifedina moose and dan held two other bitcoin speakers who are very prominent in the space and we were about to leave this party and who walks in but another one of the speakers at the conference neil degrasse tyson we're like oh my god we have to talk to neil and neil we go sit down with neil and actually neil was awesome and we ended up talking about bitcoin for like an hour and a half with neil just the four of us and uh Neil asked the best questions. He was not like some blue check journalist who hates Bitcoin. He was like really right. curious. And he was basically like, well, you know, I asked about aliens and what if aliens came down and had like a lot more power, like couldn't they crush the network? And he was asking about um, the scenario you've just laid out, right? So wh where, where the price, you know, declines to the point where miners don't make a profit. Well, with the difficulty algorithm, basically every two weeks or so, it's technically every 2016 blocks, um, which which is just to pause is interesting because every little thing in Bitcoin is is an Easter egg. Like Satoshi made each thing relevant to something. 2016 is 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 uh, 6102 backwards. 6102 is the executive order that FDR passed in 1933 that banned gold. So every little thing in Bitcoin is like is kind yeah. of fun. But anyway, every 2016 blocks, there's a block every about 10 minutes, so it works out every about two weeks. Um, the, basically, the Bitcoin software takes a takes takes a heat check and says, "Well, how long did it take to do that?" Um, and if it if it if it is above or below a, a target time, it adjusts the difficulty, meaning like the the, the you know the 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 hash you know, amount, amount of work you need to put in as a yeah. computer to mine a block, right? So so basically, during a spiral like this where the prices are going way down. Um, you know, it's 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 basically gonna gonna result in a situation where the difficulty algorithm um, is 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 adjusting, and it's gonna take uh, longer and longer for like let's say the network to process because there's less miners operating. Okay, well then the difficulty algorithm will just change, um, and it, it'll get easier and easier and easier. When there's a lot of demand on the network, when prices are going up, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, um, the algorithm will make it harder and harder and harder. Uh, this is obviously why the uh, the algorithm is way way harder than it was at the beginning. Just to be 
very simple about that. At the beginning, Satoshi mined on his laptop. And now you need these like enormous server farms to even have a chance, right? So mining has gotten a lot more difficult over the years as the value has gone up um, of Bitcoin. But this, this, this is why it survives. So let's say tomorrow, let's say it drops all the way down to like 14K or something insane. It doesn't matter because over the next few weeks, the difficulty algorithm will reset. And some, for somebody, somebody, it's going to be profitable. So I think it's one of the most amazing parts about Bitcoin and, and it, it keeps it keeps it alive. So don't listen to the journalists when they say that there's going to be like a mining death spiral. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it, which is, is uh, it's easy clickbait. It's easy fear, right? I mean, people, people like the no coiners. They love, they love to read the stories about Bitcoin's death and they love to see the price go down and it's good. It's good business for the, for the journalists, but it's not happening. Well, and, and just, you know, it, it's funny, especially because your audience, you're thinking, you know, you've got all these people who are thinking about how to, how to get the most uh, EV out of stuff, things like that. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what was the best time to buy Bitcoin in the last few years? It was at the very craziest moment in March, 2020, when the markets crashed and people thought the world was going to end. That was legitimately the best time to buy Bitcoin. Like that's when you had to be like, oh, it, 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 it looks like it's dying. That's when I need to buy. So, you know, we talk, people talk about, oh, you got lucky, whatever with Bitcoin over the years. I mean, the fact is that it's hard. Like, and like, like with any investment, I guess, like when there's volatile markets, like over time, you need to be able to deploy capital uh, when, when people don't trust it, right? So I would expect the next four or five months to be, to be kind of like that time. And my sense is that you'd want to get involved. And I, look, I always say invest your time in Bitcoin before your money, like let that lead whatever you do, because you need to be educated about it. You don't need to invest your money necessarily, just learn about it. Um, but I would say that between now and whenever the Fed gives up, like whenever the Fed has to actually stop raising rates, whenever they lower rates or whenever they start QE again or do stimulus, which will happen at some point between now and then is really when you want to be accumulating your, your Bitcoin. And then, you know, that, that's, that's that. And it's, it's not going to feel good because it's going to be scary and all the blue checks are nope, going to say some days, some, some days you're going to wake, some days you're going to wake up and people are going to be laughing at yeah. you. And, and that no, is, and you're going to be saying, what am I doing? What am I doing? But yeah. what are you doing? You're ensuring a future for like future generations for your, for your family. That's what you're doing. So anyway. I think yeah. it's, it's a good time, man. It's a good time to connect. It's, it's always it is. Fun. All right, Alex, tell people about the book, where to buy the book and, uh, and the Human Rights Foundation and all the good stuff that you have going on. Sure. Well, uh, check your financial privilege. Yep, it's on Amazon. You can buy it there. If you don't want to feed the Bezos beast, um, you can also buy it at cyfp.org, which is, which is on my publisher, Bitcoin Magazine site. And you can buy in Bitcoin if you want, which, you know, doesn't go to me, but I, I, I get I get fiat. But uh, but if you wanted to use Bitcoin like a currency, you can certainly do that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Gladstein. My DMs are open, and you can follow the work of the Human Rights Foundation and the conference series we produced, the Oslo Freedom Forum, at hrf.org. Uh, so again, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining everyone. Give Alex a follow. He always he's got he's got the best and most level-headed Bitcoin takes on the market for my money. And uh, and we'll be back next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.